Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. I am so happy to meet Louise Glazebrook. She has a book called The Book Your Dog Wishes You Would Read. And I thought, well, that is the perfect title. But it turns out she is steeped in dogdom. She's in England. She's a dog behaviorist, a trainer, and a television presenter. So we're going to find out her fame in England, which we probably don't know about in the U.S. But this book is wonderful. It sees all kinds of things from the dog's point of view. But what interests me the most, Louise, is that it shows us Americans, we Americans, how the British think and feel about their dogs and how they acquire their dogs. And it's so different from us. And I think it's going to make some Americans jealous because I think you have it better, but I could be wrong. So welcome to the show. Congratulations on this book. And obviously on a long career in which you have been immersing yourself in all things dog. Tell us a little bit about your television program because we won't know about that. And if it turns out you're famous, we'll feel stupid for not knowing. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't call it that. I mean, basically, in in the UK, we have a you will know a brilliant service broadcasting oh, service yes. called the BBC, the BBC. And so, I've done four series with BBC Two, um, all about bringing puppies home, the journeys that people face when they bring those dogs home, some rescue dogs, um, and really, it's kind of an obs- they're observational documentaries. They're all about following those journeys. We don't interfere. Um, because people have already decided that they are going to get those dogs and then they can call me in at particular times along that journey. And I I aim to kind of help them and try and smooth out some of those transitions. All right. So, yes, you are famous. You're you're a big no. fish in the pond of England. Well, come on, a BBC Two program. I mean, we had somebody here who I never have said his name on this show who became a celebrity dog trainer and most people that were knowledgeable, and I would say the vast majority of trainers didn't care for the harsh, dramatic, let's Mm -hmm. see if I can get the dog to bite me style, which has taught so many people all the wrong things. But you had the walkies lady in England. So Barbara, the walkies lady, she was awfully famous in her time. And now you're the modern iteration. Yes. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see. There's still plenty of time. Well, what what the book is really quite unique because you have a perspective which is 
yours alone, but you've gotten it from being kind of inside a dog's head. And what? Thank you. Right? I mean, I mean that's what yeah. I think you've done. It's interesting because I guess when I was writing it, um, I ended up writing it at a time which obviously none of us could have foreseen, which was the lockdown. Right. And um, I just really vividly remember because one of my friends at that time, obviously my children were off school. I mean, it was it was pretty hellish in terms of trying to be self-employed, write a book and look after children. So my lovely friend lent me her office where I would go and work until the early hours in the morning once the kids had gone to bed. And I just remember this intensity where I would just sit crying sometimes, which I know that wow. sounds really dramatic, but I just felt like, and I'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but... Um, I think when I, the British swear with your accent, it sounds good. It's fine. Do you think? I don't know. <laughs> but... but Basically, my original idea was about what we are doing to dogs, basically, because I felt like I felt really upset about the things that I was seeing and the whether we can call it lack of ignorance, uh, um, you know, lack of research, ignorance, whatever it was. But I just found myself needing to give a voice and trying to kindly let people know why some of the things that they were doing and and I think one of the thing big things to bear in mind is that generally speaking people don't go out with bad intentions they don't go out to create issues but they just don't know and that was really where the book came from and I and I guess I wanted to leave something that I genuinely felt could make a difference to dogs rather than just another book about dogs. Well, it worked. I mean, one of the things that really jumped out at me and your intention in this checklist of really nice way to go on a low-key excursion with your dog, you were talking about puppies and how people were, I wish more people worried about tiring out puppies because you see mm. people, people trying to do things like jog with a puppy. That'd be yeah. like trying to jog with a babe in arms and making it run beside you. They're, yeah. they're little people and they need lots of sleep. But you talk about other things you can do with a dog. And I think to me, this 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 list, this checklist, this bullet pointed list kind of to me encapsulates, it's under a, a heading of walks, encapsulates the kindness of your attitude to dogs, but also in a way to people and trying to get people to slow down yeah. Pay attention to the dog. Pay attention to the natural world. So let's talk about some of these ideas mm. because not only are they in there, well, they are in there as things you can do with a puppy to not do high physically stressing walks, but senior dogs, it's the same exact yeah. list. And how many of us are lucky enough to have dogs living longer because of better veterinary care, maybe better nutrition, that's totally mm -hmm. debatable, but certainly better veterinary care. So drive to the tip now what you, there's so many britishisms in the book that i adore i'm thinking the tip is at the tip of england is at the tip of your driveway oh, you, we don't have that phrase that i what, love this it, book it's what, it's what an immersion you, in in the british way of seeing the world oh, what, so what is funny. the tip oh okay so over here we have our rubbish collected like your trash collected once yes. a week by um the rubbish men women whoever it is yep and then we have these things in so uh you have boroughs which you live in 
and you have um, every borough has tips, which is where, for example, if you have a clear out at home, you do the garden or something, you compile it all into your car, drive to the tip and take it all out and drop it off. But it's not the actual rubbish. That's more like yard material. Well, vegetation. no, it can be. It can be. It can be like because the over here they will only collect what you have a kind of wheelie bin, and they will only collect what you put in that wheelie bin. So if you've had a party or friends over, or you've got more trash than you would <laughs> normally have, then you would need to drive it to the tip because they're not going to take it. So um, that's really interesting. That, it's that very interesting. Yeah. That this is so How normal to you. And my it? oldest, closest friend in the world lives in England, became British, lives in the countryside, very doggy, needless to say, went from an Irish wolfhound to now pug. So as we get older, that seems to happen. But I've never heard <laughs> to the tip, but it's great. So you drive somewhere and then in this place full of good sniffs, there's yeah. many good things to smell. Then you say, and this is a really good one, drive through a coffee burger place, learning to hear voices and seeing someone passing things through the window. Now, that's so a puppy gets used to it. But for my dogs, who are seven and nine, and they're Weimaraners, which you have opinions about that I don't particularly yeah. share, but I think yeah. British Wimes must be somewhat different as well. Definitely yeah. Cocker Spaniels are so different. We could talk for hours about the differences in how these breeds have evolved in our two countries. But dogs love to see things, Louise, and this is one of the things you talk about, to look at people, to wonder, are they coming to the car? Have they got something for me? Are they a danger? It keeps them engaged, right? But also as well, actually, that um, line I actually had in mind for the States because over here um, we have a sprinkling of drive-through places. Right. But in comparison to you guys, it's nothing. I mean, it's tiny. Even in London, where I am, I mean, drive-throughs just barely exist. Sure. Um, so I guess I did have places like the States in mind for that. But I think it's also just trying to make people realise that there are lots of things that you can do that you just kind of need to be a little bit more creative or just think about or um, not get set in stone that it's kind of this two walks a day and then your dog's at home. Yes. There, there is more to life. Definitely. You say visit a friend's garden, a new place to explore. Well, people in cities could, if their friend is friendly and your dog exactly. is not incontinent or housebroken, go to your friend's house and sit in the kitchen and have a cup of tea. The thrill for a dog of doing that is so much more interesting than going round the block on the asphalt, you know, that they've been on. Even though there's there's pee mail to smell, to go to a new place. I mean, yeah, I, have, and I think it's thrilling. Yeah, and I think on that list I put um, about things like the supermarket car parks, which obviously yes, the that was so clever. Have. But it's um, and and you know even if you can't take your dog and put it on the floor yet, you can sit with the the boot of your car open and and sit and observe and watch and learn. Um, but I also think that we as owners, it's not just about the puppy learning; it's about us watching them and yes. seeing what do they do and how do they react because that then should feed into what strategy is the wrong word because I don't think anyone sits with a kind of spreadsheet planning out a strategy. <laughs> but I think it should inform that if you see that your dog um, is exhibiting signs of not wanting to approach people, is fearful in a particular situation, is worried about something, that should inform what you are doing and how you are doing it. 
Um, and I think those are the things that we need to be paying much more attention to. And I th- to be honest with you, I think that in life is that it's, for me, it's all about the small things. It's not about the yes. big things. And that's what this book is full of, these little nuggets. I would write in the margin because I, I don't really usually oh, write in books, right. but I wanted to because some yeah. things just jumped out. I'd write Brill because I thought, well, I could say Brill because I'll be talking to somebody British, which is sounds very obnoxious <laughs> if an American <laughs> says it. But there was one that you did that I adored about yeah. – and it's useful for anybody with any age dog that is overreactive or just call it reactive to yes. new people coming in the house, whether it's from yes. the doorbell or their entrance and all of these other suggestions from other trainers are, oh, yes, send them to their bed or give them a bone or have them on a leash or give the visitor a treat. And oh, my God, talk about a spreadsheet. Yours Mm. is great, Louise. Tell your idea about meeting people outside the house and going for a little walk, even if it's just down the corridor, if it's an apartment building. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of found this out through dogs, like everything, through dogs that I've worked with. And what you realize is that a lot of the time when we have puppies, we teach them to be really excited about the dog. So I try and get clients to not do this. But when they have puppies, they start going, oh, who's at the door? And is it for you? And all this right, kind of stuff. Right, right. So we, we really early on create this uh, ridiculous dynamic around the door. So um, what I kind of realized is that lots of dogs had issues with people stepping in to a space yes obviously not knowing that they're coming obviously as a human we we recognize or we might know that someone's coming and then we have uh delivery drivers that are kind of throwing or passing things over yep. thresholds um and so i guess a while ago i just tried uh take you know asking clients when they were meeting me when i was going around to their houses right because i didn't know what i was going to find and I also didn't want to be attacked and I didn't want to be thrown <laughs> up against a wall, which has happened by clients' dogs. So I would ask them to come out and meet me under the uh, proviso of giving me a parking permit. So in England, we in London, you used to have to give paper parking permits. Right. So they would come out and bring it to me with the dog on the lead. And I would say to them, don't let them come up to me and don't let them sniff me. Let's walk and talk, but keep them on the outside of the pavement. And we would do what you would call like a block, a walk yes. around the block. Yes. Um, and depending on the dog and depending on their anxiety, we would either do one walk round or we would extend it. And then we would come in and I would walk in first, not from a dominance point of view, but simply so they could see me right. and not need to look behind to see if I was still there. They would follow me in and then we would come into the room. And the difference was huge because the dog had started to get used to what my voice sounded like. I hadn't at that point tried to touch them. We hadn't had a physical interaction. I hadn't gone into their space and intruded. Um, and it meant that they watched me come into their home. They then followed me and they then got the choice of to stay with their owner, to approach, to go away. And, and then we would take it from there. But I think, again, it goes back to this idea that we just assume that dogs understand what we want them to do, but yet we haven't taught them what to do. And I think that's a massive thing that we need to really consider, um, especially with puppy raising, 
um, because I think it would have a big impact on the adult dog that we end up with. There's no doubt about it. Your ideas are so genuinely kind and forgiving, both of the dogs and the people, but giving suggestions like this one. I mean, when you suggested this, the reason I wrote Brill is because this is what we teach dogs to do when meeting new dogs. Meet on mm-hmm. neutral territory, go for a walk. Yeah. Then it becomes ordinary. Then it becomes little by little. You get the smell, the scent, the look and of the dog. And we have space as well. That's yes. the thing. Exactly. You know, uh, head-on collisions are not good for for dog-on-dog, and they're certainly uh, not favoured. But as humans, because that's what we do, we think that that's what dogs do. Exactly. Stick your hand out. Stick your hand out for a handshake with a human or stick it out for the dog to smell. Hey, people, that dog smells Louise coming a block away because she is covered in other dog smells which is, is another true. issue for you. You know, it's like, oh my God, you're this sort of a smorgasbord of odors yes. and they don't know which is you and which is all the exactly. many dogs that you live with or have trained that day. Or yep. maybe you have your dog training pants that, you know, are, are well steeped in, in other wonderful smells. Oh, that, I mean, they're filthy on a daily basis. Well, they should be if, if you're doing your job well, right? Exactly. Yes, yeah. down with yeah. the dogs. We've, we're running out of time. I just want to say that this book, the book your dog wishes you would read, which is the title. It's so true to its own title. Your dog really wishes you would read this. And if you haven't gotten a new dog yet from Rescue or a Puppy, oh, please read it first. It will set you on such a wonderful course of attitude and suggestions. It's wonderful. I mean, it. I, I just can't say how many things it has it has made me think about a lot of things. You have a traffic light system for dogs, green, amber, yes. red. And all these things are valuable tools, Louise. You've Your time spent crying so, alone yeah. in the middle of the night in your friend's office is so well spent because this is really a gift to all of us. And as And the other thing that I said early on, which is so fascinating, is the differences in either language, which is a delight. It's like hanging out with a really bright, interesting English friend for hours. <laughs> or... At different attitudes or, or truths about different breeds of dogs. So I just want to say, well done. H- tip of the hat to you. And thank you for this book. And thank you for taking time to talk to me so that more people can go get their own copy of the book, Your Dog Wishes You Would Read by Louise Glazebrook. Thank you again, Louise. Thank you. That's so kind. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food, Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.